0: Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hosea, Hosea in the Old Testament, comes just before the book of Joel if that's any help at all, it's a wonderful book just after the book of Daniel, Hosea chapter 14. chapter 14 beginning to read at verse 1 O Israel return to the Lord your God for you have stumbled because of your iniquity take words with you and return to the Lord say to him take away all iniquity receive us graciously for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips Assyria shall not save us We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our gods, for in you the fatherless finds mercy. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. I will be like the Jew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread, his beauty shall be like an olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. Those who dwell under his shadow shall return, they shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, what have I to do anymore with idols? I have heard and observed him. I am like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Please keep your Bibles open there. I wonder if you've ever come across this man before, G.F. Dempster. I might have told some of you uh, about him before. Uh, I inherited some of his books from my grandfather, and they are absolutely wonderful. G.F. Dempster was uh, a minister in London uh, in the early 1900s, and he was a real soul winner. And he wasn't just somebody who preached the gospel from the pulpit, but he was out to win people. And what he would do is, he would actually... Disguise himself as a homeless person, and he would go mix with homeless people, or he would go uh, uh, and and be uh, take up a job as as something like a chimney sweep or something like this to get alongside people to get into a place in the community where he could find sinners and bring them to the Lord. And one of his stories he tells in this particular book, Finding Men for Christ, the first story in the book is about how he decided to go and get a job uh, at, uh, where, uh, at a wharf down in London's dock. And so he dressed himself up as somebody who was hard of work, uh, hard of uh, money and uh, out of work. And uh, he went down to the docks and started queuing up with the other men for laborers' work, anything that would uh, give a few penny. He went to the first wharf and he got turned away. Uh, And the man on the gate said, sorry, mate, no work here today. And as he walked away, he heard the man say to his friend, poor fellow, looks like he needs a bobble too. And that made him smile because he thought, well, I've got it right. (laughs) I'm not going to be recognized for what I am, a minister of the church. I'm going to be able to uh, blend in with the others. And he went on until they found uh, a a group of men who had found some work uh, bringing some dried fruit from France off barges that had come uh, alongside a ship that had come in and they were bringing them across gangplanks on wheelbarrows onto the, uh, onto the mainland. And it was quite tricky work, but it was money. And so a number of these men were doing it and he joined the crew and uh, got in there alongside them and started just chatting and being friendly with them and listening to them. Anyway, on his 12th trip across these gangplanks, pushing a wheelbarrow with four boxes every time full of dried fruit, he noticed that the gangplank was getting more and more saggy all the time. And uh, it was a wobbly gangplank. He said everybody else, he said, seemed to know how to do this naturally. He said, me, this wasn't my normal line of work. I was used to flying a desk. You know, this was, a, uh, this was different for me. So I had to really concentrate on what I was doing. And as he, he was about halfway across on his 12th trip, somebody bounced the plank. And the wheelbarrow fell in the water, which was actually 90% mud. And uh, he himself went down and went splash in the water at the bottom. At that point, it was as if he heard a little voice in his head saying, don't lose your cool, get up and smile. And he got up and he smiled. And all the men were roaring with laughter up there. And uh, he, he was trying to get himself back on his feet, which wasn't easy, in the mud. And some big old boy on the edge of the of the barge who had seen this happened, he threw in some old boxes and used them to come down into the water to rescue him. Well, the man gave him his hand and pulled him up and he said, uh, you took that well, mate. He said, you took that well. And they pulled him back up onto, the, up onto the barge. Now, when he got up onto the barge, the man said to him, he said, you're new to this, aren't you? He said, I've been watching you. And Dempster looked at him, and he would noticed his accent wasn't a London accent. He wasn't a Cockney like the others. He said, yes, I'm new to this. He said, but so are you, aren't you? And he said, yes, I am. And he said, Well, how about you and me? Because they were both covered in mud. Uh, now, he said, You and me signing off for the day and uh, going and getting a cup of tea. Well, they went to go and get a cup of tea. They got their, their 11 pence as it was pay at that time. And then they went off to go and get a cup of tea. And the lady at, uh, at the cafe saw them coming and said, Get out. You're not coming in here dressed like that with all that mud. So he said, um, I'll tell you what, why don't you come back to my place? Uh, and he said, uh, I'll tell you my yarn if you'll tell me yours. And he says, that sounds a deal. He says, tell me to where you dos. So they go off and they go to where Dempster's house was. And the bloke says, this is where you dos. <laughs> and he said, yeah. He said, I didn't know they put people up in there. He said, it's a long story. I'll tell you when we're inside. And they went inside and uh, uh, somebody came and Dempster arranged some some tea. And he got himself changed. And the man said, "What is this story?" Because he realized now he wasn't a, a laborer like the others. And uh, he said, "You promise to tell me your story first if I, 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 and, and then I'll tell you mine." So the man said, he said,, uh, "All right, he said, "But I, I, don't, I don't like places like this." He said, "I'm too far gone." And he said, "What do you mean you're too far gone?" He said, I'm too far gone. He said, he said I, I don't want to know. And Dempster said to him, you made a promise that you would tell me your yarn and I'll tell you mine. So the man said, all right, he said, I was a Christian, but I backslid. He said, I was actually a doctor, a very wealthy man. And I had two beautiful daughters and I have a lovely wife. He said, but uh, as time went on, I was very busy. I couldn't keep up going to church, and I stopped going to church regularly, and soon I started drinking. And as I started drinking, he said, it just got a hold of me until I could do no more. And he said, I had to leave home. I ran away. I left my wife and my daughters a note, and I haven't been home since. He said, I fled to America He said, I went all the way out there to America, and guess what happened? I saw someone I knew. You think of the chances of that, you know, out there. He said, overnight, I did another runner from New York to Boston to get away. He said, when I went up to Boston, he said, things were coming around all the time, getting me in trouble. And he said, and in the end, I came back to this country. He said, I once had a very luxury house and a good business. He said, but my life was ruined by my sin." And he said, I've been doing this work ever since. And he said, I've just been living rough, living, sometimes sleeping in the park, sometimes wherever I can get any pay uh, to try and survive. And Dempster asked him, have you got a picture of your family? And the man put his hand in his waist pocket and pulled out two photographs, one of the two girls and one of his wife. He said, "I, I have a contact who found out they're still okay and I'm pleased. He said, I'd love to go back. Sometimes I dream of going back. He said, but I know I never can. Well, Dempster said, I don't believe that. <laughs> he said, I'll tell you my story now. He said, I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor and I've come seeking people. And the man said, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't want anything to do with this. He got hot and flushed and, and didn't, he felt upset, uh, upset about it. And Dempster said these words to him. He said, was it an accidental thing that I happened to get a job alongside you at that particular wharf this morning? Was it a mere chance that those rascals chose me for their rather cruel joke? Is it pure coincidence that of all the crowd, you should be the one to fish me out? Or... Did someone, capital S, someone know where to find you and is even now answering someone else's prayer for you? And the man couldn't escape that logic. And uh, he said, okay, I admit that. And he broke down and he cried and they prayed and he prayed a prayer of repentance to come back to the Lord. I'm cutting a long story short. And Dempster said, would you like to be restored to your family? He said, yes, I do. But he said, I don't want to go back like this. I can't go back like this. I can't take on the family again like this. He said, I want to get myself sorted out. And he said, I want to be able to earn a living again to help my family. Well, what happened was um, he made contact, Dempster made contact with the wife and uh, found out the girls were doing their medical exams. They were going to be doctors. And uh, they said it's too, it 's too this was right in the middle of doing their exams it wouldn 't be the right time to try and restore the home, so uh, they decided to leave it six months and that six months, the Lord did a wonderful work in that man, that backslider, and uh, he got a new job he got a job working at a warehouse for pharmaceuticals and and chemicals and things like this. And because he had a medical background, he knew these things and he was an immense help to the people and uh, it helped him get up uh, and started again. And the time came eventually when uh, Dempster received the family into his home and said to them, would you like to see your father again? And the girls jumped for joy and they said, yes, please. And he said, he's in the next room. And he brought him through and left them to it. And it's a wonderful, touching story out of many of how God used Dempster to restore that man's uh, home and life and walk with the Lord. Dempster said this. He said, I have already made one very important discovery. Among the crowds of men and women who throng our city streets, there are many, even in the courts and alleys and along the Dockland highways, ...who had not always been down under. They were prodigal sons, daughters, fathers and mothers... ...who had wasted their substance in a myriad of ways... ...and whom the Lord wanted someone to find them for him. And that's what he made his goal to be. Well, someone like Dempster was a man called Hosea. Hosea was a prophet to the nation of Israel in the 8th century before Christ... And he was seeking a backslidden people to bring them back to their God. And uh, it's a long story how God used him uh, and made his own life a parable to show Israel that they could come back. But at the end of this book, a book of warning of judgments, God gives through Hosea a very touching call to return to him, to return to the Lord your God. Twice he says it in verse 1 and 2, O Israel, return to the Lord your God. And in verse 2, take words with you and return to the Lord. He's calling the backslider back to himself, backslidden Israel back to himself. And uh, in this passage, God tells us that he is ready to receive the backslider who comes in the right way. Because as he says there in verse 1, he's still the Lord, your God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He's still your God. Even though you may have done something terrible and drifted as badly as you have done, he's still the Lord, your God. And even though the fellowship may have been broken, the relationship hasn't been. And God wants to be restored to you and you to him. So he sent Hosea to the nation of Israel for this. And I believe he sent me to this pulpit tonight for this purpose as well. And my message tonight to whoever is listening in this building or outside is return to the Lord your God. I want you to see these four things from this passage with me this evening, the, retu- the reason to return, the way to return, the incentives to return and the guarantee to return as Hosea spells them out for us here. First of all, the reason to return in verse one, he says, oh, Israel, return to the Lord, your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Now, I didn't get time to put together the PowerPoint enough for this, but this is an in this chapter. And you'll notice it begins and it ends on this theme of stumbling. The last line is, but transgressors stumble in them. That word stumble there is a word which is used... To describe somebody falling into weakness. It's used of Samson's weakness. And, and when he is, has his hair shorn uh, by Delilah. And you know that was a, a, a true stumbling in that man's life. And God says this is the reason to come back. Because you've stumbled because of your iniquity. You've fallen. And you know this is true for every person who backslides. And in fact I'm going to tell you something. This is true for every person. I didn't need to even say the last word, backslide. Because in James chapter 3, verse 2, James in the New Testament says, we all stumble in many ways. We all commit sin. We all fall. We all do things that are wrong. But uh, Hosea is talking especially about the impact of that sin uh, upon the life and nation of Israel and how it had called them to stumble uh, as a body of people and fall and so he says this is the reason to come back because of the stumbling that is taking place in your life and i wonder if there's somebody here today who's conscious of the fact they're stumbling they're stumbling along now it's okay if you get back up it's okay if you get back up and keep going with the lord that's what the christian life's like you know we start off as christian babies And if you see a baby, a baby learning to walk, a baby has to go through about a million falls, they reckon, before a baby can learn to stand up and walk. A million times, it tries and it falls, it tries and it falls, and it tries and it falls. And that's what it's like in the early stages of our Christian life. But when you are uh, already strong and then you fall and you can't get back up, that's... Why we need to call out to the Lord. Sin is something that assassinates. It starts off by fascinating us, then it assassinates us. And it brings us down. Look at Simon Peter. Look at David. Look at Jacob. We could look at all the stories in the Bible and see how they stumbled because of their sin. One writer said, sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will teach you more than you want to know. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. That's the terrifying thing about sin, isn't it? It's such a powerful force. But Dr. Alexander White, the famous Scottish preacher, said this, The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And when you fall, come back to the Lord. Return to him. And this is what Hosea is calling for. He's saying, return to me because you've stumbled because of your iniquity. So if you're down at the moment, and I don't mean emotionally down, but but spiritually down because of your sin, then cry out to God and return to him and he will restore you. This is a good reason to come back, to get out of that sin. But the second thing I want you to see here is the way to return. Because in verses 2 to 3, he prescribes the right way to come. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed, uh, sometimes on evangelistic literature, I know uh, our friend Tony Pierce in London does this a lot on the back of his things, sometimes they have a sinner's prayer. You ever seen those? Uh, I thank God for that. I, you know, I know that it's possible just to pray it mechanically and nothing spiritual will happen. But it's a guidance, isn't it? It's a guidance how to pray. Well, this is what Hosea is giving here. He's giving a sinner's prayer and he's laying out the way to return so people can make their turn around. And uh, he says this, uh, there's there's a right way to come back to God. First of all, he said, come and ask God for cleansing. He says in verse 2, take words with you. And return to the Lord your God. Take words with you. So come in with a prayer. That's what he means. Now this is interesting. Because in Israel's past. The commandment of God. Was that no man should appear before God empty handed. And when you went up to Jerusalem. For, uh, to the temple. You took a sacrifice. Or you took money to buy a sacrifice because you didn't come before God empty-handed. But here God's not saying, I want you to bring me a sacrifice. He said, I want you to bring me words. I've had enough of empty sacrifices. You see, it's possible just to offer the sacrifices without any sincerity of heart. But he said, I want you to come with words. Take words with you and return to the Lord. And this is what he says to say. Say to him, take away all iniquity. That's a prayer for the cleansing of our hearts. Ask the Lord to cleanse us from the things that we have done wrong and uh, to restore us. And this is a New Testament thing as well, isn't it? The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. And it means to... Ask God to cleanse you thoroughly. Notice the word all in the middle of that. Take away all iniquity. Not just stuff I can happily let go, but I want to keep this cherished sin. (laughs) If you mean to be restored, ask God for cleansing. Ask him to take away all iniquity. That's the way to come to him, to ask for cleansing. And by the way, that's the same for anybody coming to the Lord for the first time as well. If you're interested in becoming a Christian, I would say this, do the same thing, come to the Lord and ask him to cleanse you of your sin and forgive you because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And then he says in verse 2, come on the basis of grace alone because he says the prayer is to say, receive us graciously. Now that word graciously can also be translated, "O gracious one. And uh, a lot of uh, rabbinical commentators believe this was actually a veiled title for the Messiah in the prophecy of Hosea. He would be the gracious one. And so that is true of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do we sing sometimes? Only by grace can we enter. And that's right. The only way we can come to God is not on our own merits, not the things that we have done wrong, not boasting our own good works. But we come and ask God to receive us graciously on the basis of his free gift to us, his grace. That's the only way to come. And then he says, come with praise. Come with praise. Because in verse 2 he says, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. The Old Testament system was still in place at this time. The temple was still standing. God still uh, had a sacrificial system prescribed in the Mosaic law. But God says, I want you now to bring me sacrifices of lips. And in the New Testament, this is one of the sacrifices that still is upon Christians to offer. Sometimes you hear people say, oh, sacrifices are all past now. That's not quite true. It's 90% true, but there are some sacrifices, including the sacrifice of praise. And Hebrews 13, 15 takes this and applies it. And it says, let us bring before God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And that's the continuing sacrifice. Come thanking God for his saving work in the Lord Jesus Christ and worship him for it. You know why? Because you worship God for things that you really are appreciative of and if you appreciate God saving you and forgiving you and restoring you you will want to uh, praise him for it but not only that he says to forsake all other hopes if you want to be restored to God forsake all other hopes this is what verse 3 is about he says Assyria shall not save us these are the words still for them to say back to God Assyria shall not save us we will not ride on horses Now, at that time, Assyria was the superpower, the rising superpower in in the Middle East. And uh, it was the one who they were looking to, to rescue them from other enemies. Uh, Somebody said, uh, and you see this in the book of Hosea as well, it was a, a foolish type of thing. It would be a bit like the people in Taiwan going to China for asking them for help. You know, it's mad. I mean, Taiwan going to China for help. They're the problem. And this was going to be the sake with Israel. You know, Assyria was going to come in and invade uh, Israel as well. So forsake Assyria. Stop trusting foolishly in just some big, powerful nation because it's impressive. And it says, we will not ride on horses. That's a reference to the Egyptians. The Egyptians were those who provided horses for the Middle East. And through their horse industry, uh, they, they could put out a cavalry uh, in the nation of Israel. But it was a foolish thing to trust in anything else to save them. And not trust in their own idols as well. As he says in verse 3, nor will we say any more to the works of our hands, you are our God's throw away your idols and look to the lord instead of these false gods and the last line in verse 3 is for in you the fatherless finds mercy god is uh, a rescuer and uh, would have mercy on them if they came without any other support like a fatherless child looking for mercy and that's the way to return to God. Come to Him, resting on no other hopes. You know, sometimes I hear people say, "Well, you know, God will save me. I've lived a good life." Well, you know what? You don't need saving then, do you? Because you've you've got your good life. And Jesus won't save you as long as you say that. He said, "The righteous I've not come to call to repentance, but sinners." You have to. It's like the hell's angels coming into church. You have to admit you're guilty. You can't come in unless you're bad. <laughs> it's true. And when you know you're a sinner and you know you have no other hope, you're not trusting in your religion, you're not trusting in your, your, your good works or anything like that, then you can come. This is the way to return, says Hosea, and he prescribes it out here. Douglas Rumberford in one of his books said, When we fall, we have an opportunity to fall to our knees. And that's the way Hosea says we should act. If we're backslidden, come down on our knees and ask the Lord, save us, restore us, and uh, bring us back into fellowship with you. Then thirdly, we see here he talks about the incentives to return. And in verses 4 to 7, he lays out some incentives. Someone said it's easy to drift with the current, but very hard to return against the tide. And that's true for a backslider. You know, it doesn't take any difficulty to backslide, does it? Human nature will go with you and, and help you. But to come back, that's difficult. Someone described it. Have you ever seen those children in, in uh, department stores trying to run up an escalator the other way? And, you know, the escalator's coming down and they're trying to go back up. Well, that's like your old sinful nature dragging you back down and you're fighting against it to go back up. It's, it's a battle to get back up. So we need some incentives to return. And God lays out some incentives for us here. He lays out the incentive of the promise of healing. In verse 4, he says, I will heal their backsliding. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from him. Notice he goes from them to him personally because it's not just a national thing. It comes down to the individual. You know how a nation repents? One by one. And if you want to come back to the Lord, you need to come personally. But he says, I will heal your backsliding. You see, backsliding is like a, a spiritual sickness. You ever seen somebody get an illness? You know what happens? They start become grouchy, don't they? You know, And uh, uh, they start getting a temperature. They start going off their food. Uh, and soon... They don't want to be around anyone. They want to go to bed and laze around. Well, that's what happens spiritually as well. You lose your appetite for the word of God. And then you say, I don't want to go to church. And I don't want to be around the people. And uh, you start going down with a spiritual sickness. But God says, I will heal their backsliding. Spurgeon said this. Ah, says someone. But suppose you've fallen into some great sin. What then? Why then? The more reason that you should cast yourself upon him. Do you think Jesus Christ is only for little sinners? Is he a doctor that only heals headaches? It requires no faith to trust Christ when I do not have any sin. But it is true faith when I am foul, black and filthy. When during the day I have tripped up and fallen, doing serious damage to my joy and peace. I go back by faith to that dear fountain and say, Lord, I never loved washing so much as I do tonight, for today I've made a fool of myself. I've said and done what I ought not to have done, and I'm ashamed and full of confusion, but I believe Christ can save me, even me, and I will rest in him still. Well said. He will heal our backsliding. Not only that, he gives us the promise of new growth. In verse 5, he says this, I will be... Like the Jew to Israel. You notice that's the third I will. He said, I will heal their backsliding, I will love them freely, which is the same as talking about grace we become unmerited. And uh, God says his anger's turned away from us, he's willing to do that. And then he says, I will be like the Jew to Israel. Now, if you live in the Middle East, you appreciate there's not much water. And the Jew is everything to the people in the Middle East and the people of the land of Israel, especially because it brings much needed water. And in fact, more water perhaps comes from the heavy Jews uh, than uh, short rainfall at times in the land of Israel. And so God says, I'll be like the Jew to Israel and I'll bring that revival and I will bring that restoration and that new growth you see everything goes green after the dew has fallen uh, and revived it and what a picture by the way of the holy spirit's power have you ever thought about this how does the dew fall the dew falls silently it falls from heaven it falls silently but what a difference it makes on whatever it lands And when the Holy Spirit falls from heaven on a person, it revives them and brings them back. And then the Lord uses a series of pictures uh, from nature to describe the new growth. He says he shall grow like the lily. Now there's a beautiful white lily that grows in Israel. And uh, it grows very tall and it grows up. And this is what happens spiritually when we're revived. We start to grow up again in our faith, walking with the Lord. But the trouble with the lily is the lily has very shallow roots. And so God says, I'm going to couple this with some new features. And he says, he shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. That doesn't mean the country Lebanon, that means the cedars of Lebanon. The great trees, the cedars of Lebanon, push down their roots and they're well firm in the ground. And they go long and they go deep. So you're growing in two directions at once. You're growing up and you're growing down. And that's how we should be as Christians, getting our roots down into the word of God, into the things of scripture as we grow up spiritually. And then we grow out as well. Verse 6, his branches shall spread. And we start to reach out. This is our influence going out, reaching out to others. You'll notice later on it talks in verse 7 about those under his shadow shall return. Uh, A tree provides shade and uh, creatures come under it for shadow. So it's our influence. And as we grow up and we grow out, we start to to witness for the Lord again and uh, we spread out. And he says in verse 6, his beauty shall be like an olive tree. And uh, this is the, 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 the beautiful olive tree, which is just beautiful to look at as well as have its fruit to taste. There's a spiritual beauty in somebody's life when they're restored. And he says, and his fragrance like Lebanon, uh, the Lebanon, the cedars of Lebanon uh, in the wind will, will send off a fragrance as, as the uh, wind carries them, uh, the fragrance at certain times of the year. And again, the Christian has a fragrance, doesn't he? 2 Corinthians 2 talks about our fragrance. To some, it's a fragrance of life. To others, it's a fragrance of death. But it's the, it's the beauty of the gospel going out whether people like it or not. And verse 7, those who dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall be revived like grain. Grain, uh, it, you think of the many crops. Uh, and when the water comes and revives it, it suddenly grows and brings forth a harvest. And it says, and grow like a vine. Now, this is where I've gone into the next point. Because the next point is the promise of effectiveness. And uh, this is the next thing God promises us. Not only growth, but effectiveness as we serve him. And a vine gives forth fruit. And that fruit is uh, is the wine fruit, as you see at the end of verse 7. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. And uh, the fruitfulness is something, uh, is a a mark of a Christian's effectiveness for the Lord. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, you are my disciples. And he said, I want you to bear much fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Uh, And he said, this is to my father's glory. But when they're in the vine, they can do it and they can be effective. So if you think your life is uh, useless now because you've backslidden, God says... God says, I'll heal your backsliding, you can start to grow again, and you can start to be used again. Some people, that's an anathema. They would never have had Peter preach on the day of Pentecost, because Peter blew it about 10 days ago. But Jesus said, no, Peter is restored. And he's back in action uh, and he's able to serve. And in the uh, 40 days, I should say 50 days to Pentecost, uh, he was restored and able to start serving the Lord again. Praise the Lord. You know, I've got a, a lovely little testimony here of a man from Switzerland whose name, if I can just see, is Johnny Hallis. And Johnny Hallis... Uh, when he was uh, coming to the end of his schooling, he was thinking about career. What do I want to do? And, and, and he wanted to become a chimney sweep. I mentioned that earlier as well in a different story. But uh, he wanted to become a chimney sweep. And he said there were, it was a good job. And he said there were a number of companies working in the area. And uh, he said, I wanted to get one with a, a good apprenticeship. There's only one person in our community I did not want to work with. And that was the man from the Salvation Army. But guess who he ended up with? (laughs) The man from the Salvation Army. And he said, as I was going out with this man, he said, I hated it at first. I just kept my distance from him. He said, but the more I saw his life, the more I began to realize he really had something that I wanted. And he said, I became a Christian. I went with him to church and he became a Christian. But Johnny was into motorbikes and he and some friends were building a Harley Davidson together, rebuilding a Harley Davidson together, and he told his friends about it and they turned around and said to him, I want to tell you straight away, you go with those Christians, you're nothing more to do with us. And as a young Christian, he was weak. And he said, All right, I won't go to church anymore. And he backslid and he went off with his mates and he started drinking and doing drugs. And he got himself in a real mess. One night he got himself into such a mess. He'd been through so many relationships. Everything. He wasn't walking with the Lord. And you know what? It's true. The most unhappy man in the world is not an atheist. It's a backslidden Christian. Because he's out of fellowship with God. And you're like the prodigal son in the pig pen. You're not happy. And uh, he was not happy. And he went to the park one night. And he was going to buy some drugs. And he was going to finish himself off. But as he went through the park, the memory of the sermon he had heard about the gospel and heaven and hell came back to him. And he thought, I want to go to heaven. I want to walk with the Lord. I want to be saved. So he, he went back to the Salvation Army man and he, he, he got restored to the Lord and asked him to asked the Lord Jesus to forgive him and bring him back. And his mates were true to their word. They said, right, we're clearing off. No more to do with you. This was over after a period of years. But he didn't care, and uh, he was going to walk with the Lord. And God led him step by step. He started a little cafe. He met a, a young lady who was a Christian. They got married, and today they run a motorcycle outreach ministry to people like Hells Angels, and that uh, using that motorbike uh, to win people for the Lord. His fruitfulness and effectiveness was not over because he had backslidden. And the Lord was able to heal him and restore him. So be encouraged. What can God do with you? Now here's the final point, And it's just a short one, but it's an encouraging one. And that is the guarantee to return. And that's what we see in verses 8 and 9. Because God prophesies at the end of this, not only what, what he will do if they come back, he prophesies the fact that they will do. Notice verse 8 says, Ephraim, which was a name for the northern kingdom of Israel, he said, Ephraim shall say, what have I to do anymore with idols? And here the Lord is saying, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. They are going to come back. And God's guaranteeing it. Now, I personally believe in a doctrine called the preservation or perseverance of the saints. And what that means is those who are the Lord's will be kept by the Lord. I don't believe you can lose your salvation it's here today, gone tomorrow I believe those who are the Lord's will be kept by him and he will bring them back to himself now the way of the transgressor is hard and it can be a tough road to come back but God says here to to Ephraim that they will come back and they will say I will have nothing more to do with my idols which has been the problem in the book of Hosea they'll get rid of them And uh, that's what you and I should do too. And God said prophetically, I have heard and observed him. I've seen this happen already, God said. (laughs) I've seen this happen. I have heard and observed him. And then he says the most beautiful thing. And this is God speaking. This is God speaking. God says now, I am like a green cypress tree, or that can be translated a fir tree. But he says, I'm like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You know, earlier on in the book of Hosea, the people have been looking to Baal, the fertility God, to provide everything. Now God says, your fruit, your real fruit, your spiritual fruit is in me. And you know what? That's what God says he will do for us too. As we come back to the Lord, the work of grace will be his doing in us. Not our doing. It's not by our sweat. It's by his spirit. 1 Thessalonians five twenty-three and 24. Uh, says that, that we're to let our spirit, soul and body be found blameless. At the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the next verse says. He who called you is faithful and he will do it. And I praise God for that. Your fruit is found In me, and the last verse just says, This who is wise, let him understand these things, who is prudent, let him know them. The wise man is the man who clocks it and understands it. He says, I hear this message and I know what it means. And by the way, that phrase, who is wise, is used many times in scriptures uh, compared to prophetic things. But perhaps here on the personal level, it's so relevant. And he says, it's somebody who's wise who understands that God is saying these things. But we don't want to be just like the wise person. We want to be like the prudent person. Because he says, who is prudent? Let him know them. And the knowing there is the knowing of experience. You know what I mean? Uh, My heather makes a wonderful rhubarb crumble. Now, some of you understand that, but believe me, I know it. I know it by experience. I've had it. And that's what we're talking about spiritually. Not just understanding, but knowing. And he says, for the ways of the Lord are right, the righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Some people will say, that's for me. I'm coming back to the Lord. I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to go in his path and walk in his way. But others will go, oh, a load of codswallop. And they'll get up and walk out unchanged. Transgressors will stumble in them. And that divides the whole of humanity. And it divides every single one of us in this room tonight. We're either among the wise who will walk in God's ways or those who will stumble in them. Which are you? Which are you? The Lord says, return to me. Return to the Lord your God. If you're backslidden, then come back to him take those words and return to him he's graciously offering all these things healing restoration of growth fruitfulness and effectiveness and he himself being the source of all you need as he says there in verse 8 he's offering that and the guarantee of his work within you don't turn your back on that he's offering it to you tonight the last story I want to close with was the story of a gospel musician by the name of William Kilpatrick. And William Kilpatrick was on the campaign trail when they used to have the uh, old sawdust trail and the evangelists go out and uh, go around the towns preaching, go and stay. Like It was a bit like the circus, really. You know, the circus would come to town, they'd put up a big tent and people would go and see the show. But this wasn't a show of, 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 of that. People would preach the gospel. People like Billy Sunday would come to town, they'd build a big tabernacle, they would preach the gospel and people would get converted. And one of the people who used to go out with these evangelists was a man by the name of William Kilpatrick. He was a great soloist, had a wonderful voice. But someone on the campaign train, uh, team had been noticing his walk with the Lord wasn't where it was, should be. And you know it's possible even to be in church and be backslidden. You don't have to be down doing drugs in in the the back of the woods somewhere. You can be backslidden in Union Chapel. And they challenged him. And they said, William, do you need to come back to the Lord? And he said, yes, I do. They prayed together and he came back. And he wrote this song. He said, I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod. Lord, I'm coming home. I've wasted many precious years. Now I'm coming home. I now repent with bitter tears. Lord, I'm coming home. Coming home, coming home. Never more to roam. Open wide thine arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. May there be some who say that to the Lord even tonight. Amen. Let's uh, close our service, shall we, with our final hymn. I was sinking deep in sin. Number 450, love lifted me. What a glorious refrain this is.